morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we're talking live with every about everything that might hold a writer back. And it is also 7am in most parts. So we might stumble a bit on our words, we might have some bad hair, we're trying to dress as badly as possible, actually. But we're going to be talking about other things that hold writers back besides the morning hour uh, for producing work that they want to really get done and how they might overcome their roadblocks. So today we get to hear from three wonderful writers, Christine Murphy, Emily Ross, and Joanna Rakoff. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. morning. Hi. Hello. Now today also in the chat, I would love to hear if you're still just joining, um, I'd love to hear about any goals that you have for this week that you want to accomplish. Um, also in the chat, feel free to uh, add any commentary about things that we are talking about. Um, you can also talk about your own sim similar obstacles that you have to uh, compare to the recordings that we play. And you can also share any tidbits or help that you have uh, for others as well. So Christine Murphy is a graduate of Grub Street's Novel Incubator Program. Her novel, Notes on Surviving the Fire, is under contract and forthcoming uh, in spring 2025. So we're very excited about that. Emily Ross is the author of Half in Love with Death, which was an international thriller writer's Thriller Awards finalist for Best Young Adult Novel, and she's currently shopping her second novel, The Black Sea, which is an adult mystery thriller set in her hometown of Quincy. And then Joanna Rakoff is the author of the best-selling memoir, My Salinger Year, and the novel, A Fortunate Age. Okay, one thing I wanted to add, we had one of our listeners on our Substack chat make a comment uh, about our discussion from Friday. And our discussion on Friday talked about how to start a new project um, after you've just ended at another big one, specifically how to start your second novel. And so uh, Barb, one of our listeners, uh, quoted Elizabeth Gilbert, and she said that Gilbert has a great idea of how to select your next project. She does some exploratory pages on several ideas and then interviews them to see if they will pan out into a full-length story, which I think is actually really interesting. And actually interviewing the character to see if they will pan out to a full-length story might be something that the <laughs> author who has the question today uh, can do as well. Okay, so I'm going to play the, we've got the recording today, and I am going to play that, and then we will start talking. Okay, here we go. I've been writing short stories for years, but in 2023, I started a novel for the first time. I'm currently halfway into my first draft, and I find that I've been getting stuck with character development. In short stories, I carry my characters only for a limited period of time, and often they reveal themselves through particular situations, like incidents. In the novel, I find it hard to spend so much time with the same characters. I worry that the things I put down about them are getting repetitive, and I also have trouble visualizing the arc for them that would span the entire novel. Even if I can roughly picture where they are at the beginning and where I want them at the end, it's hard to do all the moments in between. My novel is in first person, it takes place over a month or two, so it's not like I have to juggle many perspectives or decades, but I still have trouble finding a way for my character to grow and feel alive throughout the longer form. Okay, and that was Evgenia, if I'm saying her name correctly. Um, okay, so Christine, uh, we'll get you started 
what, what ideas do you have for Evgenia? Now she's talking about moving into the novel form. She's used to doing uh, short stories. Uh, so what do you think? Sure. Thank you, Evgenia. Again, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly as well. Um, I was snowblowing all day yesterday and I actually was thinking about your question all day long. Um, I, I have sort of two main thoughts. The first one is you say that you have written many short stories for many years and that in the past year you have started a novel for the first time and you're halfway through. Um, I am of the opinion that short stories and novels are fundamentally different creatures. I do not hold to the belief that the short story is a novel in miniature, nor that it is a stepping stone to a novel. I, I would compare, I would say short stories have as much to do with novels as a poem does with a novel. And um, that's a less common perspective. You know, what I find really interesting is everyone I have ever met who has done an MFA in fiction has wanted to write or is working on a novel. Every MFA that I have looked into focuses on the short story as the fundamental medium they use to analyze the structure of fiction writing. So my first thought is you are moving into a brand new discipline, a new field, and it is a steep learning curve always. Um, for me, when I think of character development in a short story, I think of a scene with a character or even eavesdropping on a character. Uh, there is the illusion to a complete person, to a full life, to an entire broader situation, but you really only get the very tip of the iceberg. When I think of a novel, I think of marrying a person, of moving in with someone, of holding them and carrying them with me throughout my entire day, going to bed with them, waking up with them. They are with me all the time. Um, that is a very different relationship than just eavesdropping on somebody on a train. Um, I feel like when we are talking about character development in a novel, we are, in my opinion, we are talking about what is the fundamental definition of a novel. And for me, it is very much a character portrait. It is understanding who we are discussing, how they relate to the world and the world as they see it and as they interact with it. Even if you take a plot focused approach and you start with this amazing thing that happens, for me, my perspective then goes immediately into well, who is the best person or the worst person to be involved in that story? Who would be ideal or terrible to handle that situation? And then working on getting to know them. Um, so my first thought is that you are embarking on a, a very new and very different um, type of writing, which is wildly exciting and wonderful. And please hear me, I don't mean to imply that your short story experience is not relevant. It absolutely is. But you are building a different muscle. And it, it takes a long time. Um, I was on Friday's chat and most of us on there said, yes, we're we've got our first novels coming out, but we've written several. Um, so so there is that component. Um, the other um, thing I would say is that you talk about holding your characters for a long time uh, and, and not being accustomed to doing that. And I think that's where treating them as living people, if that makes sense, works. Getting to know them in every context, spending more time with them, thinking about them in the sense of what do they do even when they're not in the book. I look at my novels also in many ways as the tip of the iceberg of their entire lives. And as I think about 
all of the ways they exist in the world, all the the darlings that I kill, because I do write the scenes and they don't end up in the book, or the things that never become darlings because they're not relevant to the story, I, I get to know them. I play with them in a way that has nothing to do with the story I'm telling, but it helps me understand them as an actual human being. Um, so that would be, I think that's my my starting launch into your question. Yeah, I'm always so amazed that publishers in particular assume that, and this this is quite common, someone will sell a short story collection and then they'll give the author a two book deal and the second book is supposed to be a novel because the novel is easier to, for the publisher to sell. And, and they seem to just assume that the writer can write a novel because they have produced a short story collection, which is not necessarily the case. They are very different things. And Honestly, some people are just better at short stories and some people are just better at novels. I mean, it, it, people have their own kind of internal pacing. Some people are very good at both, but some people have their own internal pacing that they're just better than one or another. You know, you've got writers like Amy Hempel, who has always just um, worked in the short story form and does extremely well in this short story form and has become famous to it. I don't, she's never done a novel. Um, Alice Munro, um, she's done very long short stories, uh, but there's still short stories. So Emily, what do you think? Well, I, I think Christine articulated really well um, what the difference can be between short stories and novels. Um, so I'll, I'll take the standpoint, you want to write a novel and you say you've kind of, reach a point where you feel stuck with your character feels repetitive um you don't know what they maybe you don't know what they should do next or you feel like you're writing the same thing I, i've definitely been there um on my first novel i did not have that problem and my second novel i really did have that problem and i was talking to someone about this very problem with novels and he said you know your novel your character has to have a beating heart all the way through your book it's going to drive you through your book so if the kind of the heart stops beating in the middle it's often in the middle and they need resuscitation you have to look at like why did this happen and sometimes you have to go back to the very beginning of your book and and why your character wants to make this journey what they want what it means to them why they're going to drive through all these pages um to, to the conclusion and and how that that I think Michelle you call it the spine of the book at one point sometimes you have to return to that because maybe you haven't got it quite right or maybe you've lost it you know in in my case when I've lost it I usually um in the beginning of a novel but I can do it later I because I'm a very visual kind of tactile person and I try to find even a a Hollywood movie star or something or a show where I can see and hear someone who's like my character and then I keep conjuring them through the book. And if I forget the voice, I listen to that character again, because it's almost like a magical talisman, hearing that voice, getting that voice, having a sense of the ghost of that person helps me kind of get, get them a beating heart again in my book. Um, and, and there's tons and tons of information on character development. I think um, Lisa Crone's story genius will give you a lot of exercises to go through before you even write um, because she's of the point of view, which I kind of in retrospect believe if you don't get this right in the beginning, you're going to flounder later in the novel. So she has things you can go through to get your characters right. 
Um, and ultimately those are, those are great exercises, but it's almost like you have to reach the point when you're writing that they've been internalized and you're not thinking about them. They're part of you. So if you find yourself stuck, I would say, welcome to the club. You know, it's, it's a really common thing to happen in novels. And there's lots and lots of helpful advice out there how to get unstuck. And what works for you might not work for someone else. I know what works for me is to kind of go back to that original voice. And if I haven't got that right, maybe readjust it. I mean, we have to go back to your beginning. And, and that's okay. We do that time and time again. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's very possible as well that some characters are better for the short story and some characters are better for the novel. Um, yeah. You might simply be working with a, with a character that's just not going to work for a novel. Um, and I have, um, I have faced that a bit myself. I usually write longer form, but again, if I'm pummeling my head and trying to understand a character and get a character and they're just not coming for me, that voice is not coming. That's not, I've actually given up on um, novel ideas because it, it just, that, that person is just not coming alive for me. They're not going to be able to be there enough for me. I'm not interested enough or fascinated enough in them or something, some block is going on that it's just not happening for a novel. And I've, I've walked away. Um, and I know that's not something that people generally want to hear, um, but sometimes it happens. And I do echo the recommendation of Lisa Cron's Story Genius. She takes you through a lot of different exercises, in particular, figuring out a character's misconceptions and oh, the very, yeah, the very specific um, episodes in the character's backstory that not only launched that misperception for the character, but then solidified it for the character. And that becomes a, a, a perfect kind of backdrop of backstory that you're building the character on so that when the character is then moving through present day incidents, they're carrying that with them. And oftentimes, well, oftentimes their interiority is gonna involve a lot of that backstory as well. So um, I do recommend that. Joanna, what do you think? Um, so I have a slightly different perspective on things, I think, because like I did not do novel incubator. I don't have an MFA in fiction. Um, you know, I sort of come at this from a really different universe. I, I do have an MFA, possibly more than you guys need to know. I have an MFA in poetry. Mm -hmm. um, and then while doing that, I worked in book publishing. So I read a million manuscripts. And while doing that MFA, I became a book critic. And so I started writing fiction. I mean, actually, before I was a book critic, but from a sort of different perspective. So my take on things is less based on kind of like, you know, craft books, craft advice, like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I have no idea what it is. And when I teach fiction, which I do a lot, actually, like, people will be like, but I learned this from this famous book coach, and I don't know any of this. So anyway, I just want to preface this by that, because I don't want to seem like I'm coming out of nowhere with my thoughts on this. But I'm, so I have pages of notes because I was so interested in this question. Um, and so I'm just going to go through a couple of things really quickly. Um, I just want to you know, pick up on one of the last things that um, Emily said, which is like going back to this, like the voice that you started your book in. And I, for me, um, like this, the idea of this person that you're talking about, Lisa Crone, is that her yeah, name? Like yeah. Okay. Um, like the idea that like you have to know so much and everything before you begin, I actually feel like 
that's not necessarily true. Like the thing with a short story is that a short story, you can often hold a lot of it in your hand. Like a short story by nature, like a lot of the time takes place over a short period of time or is about like one important incident that defines a person's life. I'm thinking about like Alice Monroe here. Um, whereas a novel is not at all, you know, as Christine was saying, they're very, two very different genres. Um, I do actually think they're more related, but that's a whole other story. Um, but when you enter into a novel, you might, there's a really good chance. I actually think that a novel in which you know everything from the beginning is not going to be that interesting to read. I think it's going to feel really dull and rote. In some ways, like that's the difference between like mass market fiction and um, art and literary fiction, right? Is like that, you know, me, like in mass market fiction, there's a formula. It doesn't mean that mass market fiction is bad. Like it can be so exciting and wonderful and comforting. But, um, and I, you know, and again, yeah, I don't know what you're writing, but I personally think that writing a novel like often starts with like character voice, uh, you know, um, maybe situation, maybe it starts in the place and you kind of jump off a cliff and that novel is only going to be interesting. Like you, Evgenia, you talk about worrying about boring your reader with details about the character. And so if you jump off that cliff into the character, into the world, into the language, into the voice, you're never gonna bore your reader. You're only going to bore your reader if you have not fully lost yourself in that world and let yourself go and let go actually of, of preconceived ideas about who the character is, what's going to happen, what their journey is. You know, even if you feel like you know what the ending is, you have to kind of um, embrace your know, Keatsian negative capability to write a great novel. And I know everyone has different goals. And again, I don't know what you're working on, but like I, as a writer, like I can't help but strive for greatness rather than goodness. And that is what I encourage students to do. Um, and if you, if you are, if that is sort of your goal, which I think it should be, um, I really think it should be, then you've got to kind of let things go and just inhabit this character. And if you truly have inhabited the character, then you'll get to know them as you work on the book and their background, their favorite foods, their inclinations are gonna be revealed through working on the novel. You don't have to know everything to start and you don't have to worry so much about the reader's perceptions. If you're worrying so much about that as you write, the novel, the texture of the novel is never going to have the kind of feel of real life or whatever life, like maybe it's a science fiction novel, I don't know. Like it's never gonna have that kind of vivacity that you want. The character is never going to feel three-dimensional and real and vivid. You've gotta jump off that cliff. You've gotta sort of embrace the unknowing. And I'm just gonna say one tiny thing about this. Like conversely, um, I do actually love this idea that you were talking about with this like, story coach person whatever um because i actually come from a world um of theater and i was like a teen actor whatever and i studied with this very famous acting coach um herbert Berghoff of hb studio who was married to this very famous actor named uda hagen who wrote a really great book on acting um and in that book she has you 
fill out this enormous like million page questionnaire about your character that's like what did they eat for breakfast whatever and so in preparing for productions that's what I did and I find myself um returning to that book fundamentals of acting um so often when I'm writing not just fiction but memoir and essays everything like even interrogating myself like I'm writing about this passage in my life in memoir what did I for breakfast who was I you know, because once you write about yourself, you're a character, right? Like you're not yourself. It's not your diary, you know? Um, so I think that that kind of um, exploration, like giving yourself a big questionnaire, maybe look at this book, um, can be helpful, like as you go along, or if you reach the point that you're at now where you're like, what am I doing? I don't know. Is this character boring? Am I repeating things and boring the reader? I don't know. Like that's maybe a sign that like you need to kind of take a little break and take a breather and start investigating in this kind of self-conscious way that everyone else was talking about, which for me, you know, was most helpful in this kind of acting manual. Um, because in a way, as the writer of fiction, you are kind of like, again, like I'm going to use that term inhabit, you're inhabiting the character kind of in the way an actor would. Yeah, I, I really, I like that that idea that you're talking about because okay so lisa crone does she argues you you need to do this before you you even you know write anything in your book robert olin butler says the same thing like you aren't more of what they're more of what they're arguing is that that you're not really writing until you have this deeper understanding of the character um but i think part of the problem there is and we've talked about that this last week too, there's so many people that they think they have to have everything figured out, particularly when they're working, beginning to work on their next project. They think I made so many mistakes in my first book and it was so, so very difficult. So now I need to get everything all lined up ahead of time for the second book so that I don't, so it's not such a messy process. And we're just, we're saying it's still going to be messy. Um, it's still going to be problematic. So I think it's better used um, once you've actually started the process. And so in, in, in our classes, we writers have written a full draft. And I think, you know, they already have the kind of grounding. They already have a full draft. They already have some sense of the character, but this help could help them if they're having trouble with character development, if they're stuck, could help them open up other avenues in the character. Just like with the acting, actually, you already have the play. <laughs> so it's already there. So this is just about the actors getting learning more about the character. And there was something that um, and Jeffney has said in the um, she said, even if I can roughly picture where they are at at the beginning and where they are, where I want them at the end, it's hard to do all the moments in between. And my my initial thought was, you know, too much. Yeah. You are predicting too much. If you, it's okay to know where they are at the beginning, though that might not eventually be, be your beginning in the end. But if you already know where you want them at the end, I think you're over planning. And I think you're getting stuck right there because otherwise you are not really allowing the character to grow. You're not giving in to that exploration um, that we were hoping for and paying attention to really what's happening on the page instead of paying attention to a pre-plan that we had. And luckily we have Christine's cat again on, on the show. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Emily, you, were, you had your hand raised. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned Lisa Crone. And I, I'll be honest, 
um, I did read it and start going through the exercises and then I forgot all about them. And wrote. Um, I started going through them and then I got bored. And yeah. I said, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And, yeah. and the thing is, I find I really want to be the kind of writer and I know writers like this that can outline their whole book. Um, and I know writers that do this and it actually works and their books are spontaneous and they're really good. But I am the kind of writer that I find as I'm writing, I make the discoveries that make me excited about the book. And it's something about the process of, of writing the character and, and writing the story that makes this happen. So I've kind of finally said, uncle, you know, a lot of the prep, a lot of the research, I think it's like, you know, taking a golf lesson. You know, if you do it enough, maybe some of it will stick and it'll help you. Um, but yes, that 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 process of writing the novel, especially the first draft, has to feel like an exciting discovery journey. Absolutely. Or it's not fun and it's not going to be fun for the reader. Yeah. Yeah. And I still suck at golf. Yeah. Me too. Uh, <laughs> the other day, how much I sucked at golf. Another thing that she talked about... She said they, that her characters in the short stories reveal themselves in particular incidents. And you will have a, um, you know, several incidences in a novel. She was also worried about being repetitive, um, that she found that she was just having the character do things over and over again. So this might actually come down more to a concern about scene than it does come down to an overarching um, problem. Um, as John, George Saunders talks about, and this is something I really believe about, he says, always be escalating. Um, if you do find that you're repeating, you need to make sure that you are not just repeating, that you are escalating what happened before. That in the previous scene, hopefully something has happened of consequence that alters the situation for the character, alters the relationships for the character, alters the character just a little bit even. And the consequence of that, of whatever happened is in that previous scene will carry into the next scene and, and change what can happen in that scene um, and change what you can do with that scene. And, and you need to push that next scene to, to do even more, um, even more pressure on the character, even more, you know, having having the relationship put, just put even more uh, pressure on them. Something, something is escalating. You can even uh, escalate theme. Um, I know that uh, Sony's blues, he escalates the, the theme of music um, and he escalates the whole idea of, of, of the relationship between his brothers. And that's how the whole story is built, just escalation of, of relationship. The brothers are getting closer and closer and closer together, um, even though one of them has died. And the, the speaker of the story is getting closer and closer and closer to his understanding of his brother's music. Those small incidents are escalating as the story continues and gives the story, uh, makes the story such a great story that it actually is. But within the scene itself, you might be ending your scenes too soon. You might not be allowing yourself to fall into that imaginative place and to sit there and rest there because you're hurrying on to the next scene and the next scene and worrying so much about getting to the end of the novel, that blank space at the end of the novel. So think about, what are the characters' intentions in this scene? Have they followed the intentions in this scene? If you follow the characters' intentions in a scene, um, and hopefully those dis intentions are even somewhat distinct from each other, and those intentions can be multi-layered, what they want out of the scene, but also what their emotional core is uh, for the scene. If you follow those and allow something to happen, 
don't end the scene until something has shifted, until the characters have affected each other in some way or the situation has affected them in some way so that something has shifted, something that's altered so that the scene is no longer exactly the uh, what it was when the scene started. You've basically, I talk about it as basically shutting, that you're putting a characters through a door and you're shutting the door after them so they actually can't return to that old, um, uh, old status that they had at the beginning of the scene. And that's how you're moving the characters forward scene by scene by scene. And that can help you avoid repetition. Um, Christine, what do you think? You have your hand raised. I told them to raise their hand this time if they had a lot to say. That's why it's, it's very exciting. So, um, a couple of things, you know, so in the chat, Judy has made a comment that I think is really interesting. So um, sometimes, for example, if your book is based on real people, you might know quite a bit about how the characters end up even if you invent a lot in the middle. And I am a writer who very much writes to an ending. Um, so I, I know what my ending is. I know where my characters end up. So my discovery is how they get there. And I really yeah. have no idea how they get there. And so I think sometimes with character development, if you feel you have a character who you know, um, it's not about understanding them on a deeper way. It's understanding how they got to the point that now they're in your story. Now they're in your book. And um, our our questioner asked the comment, you know, asked, well, what about repetition? Like the character has certain behaviors or tics and you don't want to kind of keep, keep pounding that one image or that one particular mannerism. Um, this is where the novel really shines because you have space and you can play with time in a way that you just don't have the space to do that as, as easily in a short story. So again, where did these tics come from? Where did these behaviors come from? What, um, what are they not doing every time that they have some nervous twitch? Why do they lean into that instead of something else? And you could, you know, look at flashbacks or secondary characters, putting them in scenes where that comes up, scenes where it doesn't come up. Um, and of course, our old friend interiority, like what are they experiencing when they engage in a particular um, behavior versus how do they function in the scene and the characters around them are perceiving them? Um, you know, as we get to know characters, we need to remember that everything is subjective and, and perspective is everything. So you have your perspective on the character, but what do the other characters in the book think of that character and how do they all engage? Um, how do they show different parts of themselves when they're with their mother versus their lover versus their colleague, you know, setting your characters up to engage like, like a, a Sims video game, right? Like what parts of them show up? with the different people that they're with that can show you sides of the character that you yourself won't necessarily know because you're seeing them from the creator and it can be really fun if you've created a, a well-rounded character who again you say you know them fantastic so let them let them interact and observe what happens and if you're not sure how they interact then you know play with that experiment get to know them on a deeper level yeah, I mean, that's to, to think about the other characters in their role. Um, Charles Baxter talks about the idea of Captain Happen, and my students have heard this idea over and over again. If your character is getting lazy on you, if your character isn't acting, if your character isn't changing, if your character is overprotecting yourself, you might need another character or several in the novel that is pushing and poking them and forcing them forward in ways that they don't want to go. And that can he basically, Charles Baxter, um, if you've if you've never um 
listened to his teaching or read one of his novels, I, I highly recommend them. Um, he basically says you cannot have a novel unless you have a character like this. Um, so it is very important. Uh, Joanna, what do you think? Um, I just wanted to bring up one thing um, that we've touched on a tiny, tiny bit um, that Evgenia mentioned, which is um, she talks about worrying about boring the reader, as we've discussed. And I want to just mention the concept of trusting your reader. So one thing that I find, um, and Michelle, I suspect like that you as a really veteran teacher find this as well. Um, I see this in books that I review a lot and it's hard to figure out how to discuss it is, you know, often beginning fiction writers don't quite trust the reader enough to remember things. Um, and that kind of holds the writer back from developing characters who feel like real people, basically, like just to get down to breast hacks. So what you'll see is this like book that just feels too superficial and you're, um, you get to know the character in a very superficial way because the writer keeps reminding you like, oh, she has blonde hair. Oh, she was born in Syracuse. Oh, you know, or, or reminding you of incidents, you know, or you sort of like a little bit of like psychologizing reminding like, and she was scared of cats because she was bit by a cat as a child. I'm making it sound like sort of stupid, but I think we all know what I mean. And I think a big thing, um, and I, I heard, I'm now trying to remember this. I heard someone talked about this in an event that an event that I recently did, and I now can't remember who it is. It was Sigrid Nunez, actually. That's who it was. So talking about how you have to treat the reader, you have to think of the reader as as smart or smarter than you, um, or like your you know your best but most beloved friend who totally gets you, who gets all your references. So you're kind of writing for like an inside audience in a way, and you don't have to constantly remind them. You don't have to hold their hand as you walk them through the book. Um, and so um, again, yeah, I'm wondering, um, I love what you mentioned about scene, Michelle. Um, but I also, when I first heard the question, I thought I was thinking about this tick that I see in beginning you know, novelists and short servers to actually of, kind of like feeling like you have to walk the reader through everything. Like maybe the reader is gonna miss things and forget things. But in general, if someone picks up your book, they're not, like they're smart. They wanna be there with you and they're paying attention to everything. And if by some chance the book is so complex that they forget something, they'll flip back and be like, wait, where was she born? So I would say like, maybe think a little bit about your relationship with the reader and thinking about that and maybe shifting your idea of who your reader is might allow you to forget about the reader and drop into the book. Um, and one just final thing that um, I just want to say, Michelle, about your talking about scene is um, I love everything you had to say about it. And I was writing it all down because um, it's wonderful. Um, and I just wanted to add one thing, which is like my spin on it is a little bit like your scene when you in your first draft should go past the point of comfort yes right like you should get to the point where you're you feel like you're gonna throw up writing it you know where you're like oh god oh my god wait she stabbed him ah you know or like oh my god he revealed that he actually hates her or like no her child is 
on drugs or like, you know, it, you go to a place where you're surprised by what's happening and you feel uncomfortable. And in your editing, you're going to pair that back. Like you're going to get in earlier and get out early. I'm sorry. You're going to get in later and get out earlier and you're going to pare it down to the most essential stuff. But in your first draft, that's your discovery period. And you have to go to a point of like extreme discomfort and not to be hyperbolic, but if you're not there, if you're like, okay, so I, in my outline, I said that they had to like have a cup of tea and they had that cup of tea and they talked about their dog that they have shared custody of. And I did that scene. I ticked it off my checklist. Then like, that's not serving your story or your characters at all. Like you have to go to the point where like, she's throwing hot tea on his face or whatever, you know, or like the, you know, the cafe like is blown up by a suicide bomber. You know, these are bad examples, but you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I mean, I call those the Walking Dead moments because I remember when I was watching yeah. the Walking Dead series, which also is highly, highly repetitive, but I tend to be a bit of a horror fan. I found myself, every scene, I'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I keep gasping, like, oh my God, what just happened? And of course, your scenes might be quieter than that. They might be more of the Brokeback Mountain scene where one guy simply puts his hand on the other guy's hand. I mean, that could be the gasp moment. It depends on what sort of uh, book or story that you're writing. Uh, but those, you're looking for those Walking Dead moments. And just try it out. Try to push a scene that far. Um, uh, Emily. Just quickly going back to the repetition, because one of the things in the question is I feel like I'm repeating and the reader will get bored. And it is true, you need to trust your reader. And it's also true that you can certainly need to in a novel sometimes, especially like I write mysteries and, and mystery writers, you have to catch the reader up. You don't also do not want to confuse your reader. Um, but one of the cool things about repetition, I think you have the luxury of repetition in a novel length work. You have the luxury to use that repetition so that every time you see the character, you can repeat a detail, but in a slightly different way. Or you can show how people are reacting. The same way with someone you know. You have a you build a familiarity with someone so you feel like they're alive to you and you see things that are the same but not quite the same. I mean in in like The Turn of the Screw by Henry James or or books that really you know, you might seem like I'm not learning anything new, but this is slightly different. This is slightly interesting. You can really use repetition um, in a novel in a way that, that you can't in a short story. Um, have fun with it. Have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, Aristotle claims that a character's habits is what a character is. Um, so those that's the repetition of habit. Um, by the end of a story, according to Aristotle, and I think this is basically true for any story, he says you basically have breaking, breaking, broken, breaking all of their habits down. You, you've broken the character entirely so that they have to build themselves back up again. Um, so that's the breaking down of everything that they um, used to trust, that they used to believe about themselves. So this might be simply that you need to push them farther and get more to those gasp moments. If you're really having trouble with the pacing of a novel too, or figuring out character development, you might want to also transcribe some of your favorite novel scenes out by hand, because um, that might be able to slow you down and just get an idea of the rhythms um, of a novel versus short story. And then I'm really glad that Christine um, spoke to um, Judith's question about already knowing your ending if you, yeah yeah it, it, christine you handle that very well like you're you're if you're writing historical novel if you're writing about real people you already know their ending i've i've dealt with that 
too. I realized, oh yeah, I've already know that the sister is going to wind up somewhere or this character is. So then it's about the discovery stage. And if you aren't discovering things as you go along by the right, uh, as you go along in the book, then the reader's not going to be discovering anything anyway. And you're going to just put everyone to sleep. It's just not going to work for your novel. Okay. We're going to have to, we could talk about this, I think, for a much longer time, um, but feel free. I'll be posting this um, just uh, in about a half hour or so, and you can feel free to add any comments in the Substack channel uh, and also add other ideas that you want in the Substack channel, and I can try to repeat them on tomorrow's show as well. Um, everyone, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges as well as on any of your favorite podcast platforms now ladies do you have any final words about breaking through your own writing obstacles christine what do you think i always come back to my my old favorite to have fun with it you know enjoy it um if your character is boring you come think of somebody who doesn't bore you and write about that person um you know, one thing I wanted to say, going from the short story to the novel, I feel like a lot of people sometimes think, okay, the novel is this long, so the, the short story is this long, so the novel must be that long, and it's about adding on. I actually don't think it's a horizontal movement. I think it's a vertical one. I think the novel is about going deeper and having the time and space to understand in deeper ways characters really why they make the choices they do why their ticks are the way they are and again this idea of repetition casting a different light a different lens on a particular behavior because really you know a, a novel can take place over the course of an hour right and it can be 200,000 words um so i think deepening that and and having fun with that you know follow follow the rabbit down the hole what interests you and and write about that yep emily um I'd sort of say the same thing. Um, make your character someone you're really interested in. And if you're you know, not feeling it, you know, do a little research, push them to an extreme um, that, that you wouldn't normally go yourself, separate them from yourself, pick someone who's really different because you're going to still find yourself in there. Um, that's what, and, and, and be really committed to what you're going to do. One of the things I struggle with is when I get stuck on something, then I just come up with another idea and I follow it till I'm stuck again really commit to that novel. The middle is going to be hard. There's going to be points where you feel like, damn it, I'm done with this. But, you know, stick with it and find ways to make it fun again. Yeah, totally. Joanna? Um, my bullet points. Um, and I'm just going to speak about breaking through obstacles in general, because um, I myself in recent years have faced a lot of obstacles um, that I will not delineate here. <laughs> um, I really like to change location so if I'm struggling, um, and that can be in a micro way, like let's say you have a home office, work on your couch, you know, <laughs> or like try working in the, I can't work in public, but some people can like try working in the library. And even if you fail, it's going to shift things in your brain. But I also like to change location in a really extreme way, like go to your friend's like house on the cape that they've loaned you. Um, I luckily have that situation, which is really nice. I have a friend who gives me access to her house whenever I want it. I literally have the keys. Go, if you can afford it. My friend, Laura Zygman, who's a writing coach, um, an incredible writing coach, like her advice is to go stay in a hotel anywhere, like a random suburban hotel next to a mall. And um, right there for two nights, you know, you can, if you can afford a couple hundred dollars or whatever it is, 
Um, for me, that honestly really, really, really helps, but it's partly because my life situation involves kids and just chaos at all times. Um, and it's hard. One of my obstacles is that I'm surrounded by people and I can't think unless I'm alone. Um, so change location. And then I would also say change methodology. Um, I think often we are really tied to um, our devices and that is not bad. Like I truly don't think that's bad at all. Like I am a person who takes notes for things on my phone. I do voice memos. I do everything because I'm always like running around with people. But um, for me, the thing that helps the most is just putting everything away. I have a lockbox for my phone. I put away my laptop and I just write on a legal pad. And I don't just do that to break through. I say to myself, okay, so for three days, I'm just going to write longhand to really push it because I feel like that takes me to a different place. So I really suggest that for anyone who feels like they've just hit a wall. Um, and I would also say a final thing is just like throw out all rules. Be like, okay, I learned all this. I learned, you know, just try to say to yourself, I'm going to break every rule now. Like my mentor said to like always do X. I would say do the opposite, you know, like Lisa Crone said to do whatever, like do the opposite of that, literally just to break yourself free. Um, and then a final thing, this goes against what everyone else said, but is, um, cause I do the same thing. Like I will be like, Oh, I've, I've hit a wall with this. Let me just work on something different. But sometimes working on something different really can help you. And I know this firsthand because I'm also like a journalist and essayist and like, I'll get an assignment. That's something that seems insane to me. Like, write a story about like your favorite TV character. And like, I used, to, I didn't watch that much TV growing up. So I'll be like, ah, I don't know what to write about. And then the deadline will come and I'll be forced to write it. And it always takes me to a different place with whatever book I'm working on. It always, always, always breaks me through. So I would say like, maybe you have an idea for like an op-ed. Maybe you have an idea for like a really timely piece for the globe. I don't know, like write it. And then like, take three days and write it and it's going to lead you to a different place. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I love the rule breaking. Let your characters break rules too. All our best stories are based on characters breaking rules. So if you can't get your character awake, you can't get them to change. You can't get them to do something. If they're repeating things, let them break a rule. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much. Wonderful panel today. Um, I know I got a lot out of it and I know our people in our chat did too. And everyone, you can also find the whole chat online too, if you're following uh, the webinar or the recording. So excellent. Good luck in getting back to your writing day. Thank you.